Hey there, friends. It's Ellen Weatherford. And Christian Weatherford. And this is Just the Zoo of Us, your favorite animal review podcast, where we take your favorite animals and rate them out of 10 in the categories of effectiveness, ingenuity, and aesthetics. We are not zoological experts, but we do our best to bring you the best and most accurate information we can. And this week, it is your turn to go first, Christian. All right. Just pull up my notes. You had so much time. I have 6% battery, and I was conserving it. It's a race against the clock. (laughs) (laughs) This week, I'm talking about the Freddy Krueger frog, or otherwise known as the Budgets frog. Now, which one of these sounds cooler? Um, I guess the Freddy Krueger one. As a scaredy cat, Mm -hmm. someone who is not well-versed in horror media, Freddy Krueger, which one is that? The one with the knife fingers. Not Edward Scissorhands. No, those are scissor fingers. This is a different guy. (laughs) How many knife finger guys are there? There's Wolverine, there's this guy. Oh, sweet child. (laughs) Too many guys have knife for fingers. Can we move on from the knife finger genre? Moving on, indeed. Scientific <laughs> name. Uh, oh, man. Here we go. Lepidobatrachus lavis. Oh, that was great. <laughs> Say it confidently. I did. That's all you're getting. <laughs> and that was submitted by Ella the Snake Loving Kid. Thank you, Ella. Ella has contributed to this podcast before. Oh, nice. Very welcome voice on this show. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting information from amphibiaweb.org and Wildcard. Audubon.org. Okay, those are the bird people. <laughs> yes, and actually Ella provided that uh, that source. Thank you. Yes. I'm always excited when some direction is provided. Mm-hmm, for sure. So let's talk about it. Frog, what are they? What What am Forg? <laughs> I, we've surely talked about frogs before. We've talked about multiple frogs. Okay. You have talked about the frog with all the holes in it. Ah, uh, Yes. <laughs> and I talked about a see-through frog that you could see all of its intestines. Very good. So we're in weird frog territory. <laughs> so frogs, four-legged amphibians, often spend time in water. This one especially, when it can. What this frog looks like, it is squat. That's a good word for it, yeah. <laughs> it has a very wide jaw and and mouth part of the head. It's like 90% mouth. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And some of you may remember or recognize this frog from the It's Wednesday, My Dudes meme. It is the meme frog. Yes. It's the Wednesday frog. Yes. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in our extra info. I'm so glad we can't talk about this frog without talking about its its meme impact. Yes. But hopefully that gives you a good image of what they look like. So they've got those very high-topped eyes that are a little close. Well, not so much close together, but they are high up on their head. Kind of a blank stare look there. Yeah. <laughs> Just peak, no thoughts, head yeah. empty kind of look. Yeah, definitely one of those frogs that are designed to have like their uh, their eyes and nostrils poking out of the water with the rest of their body underwater. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's lurking. Mm-hmm. Females may reach 100 millimeters long or four inches. Thank you. And males reach about half that. Oh. Yeah. The, the boys are little. <laughs> Uh, Location-wise, they can be found in the semi-arid regions of Argentina, Paraguay, and Bolivia, which are all countries in South America. They get all the good frogs down there. They do. All the good frogs are in South America. <laughs> I miss our Florida frogs, I think. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Just the constant ee. I know. In the summer, oh, it yeah. sounds so pretty. <laughs> I didn't think I'd miss it, but I do. 
I didn't think I would have. I would miss having to turn the TV up to like <laughs> the max possible volume to hear it over the frogs screaming. Yes, and this one is a particularly noisy one too. Really? Yeah. More on that later. This one belongs to the taxonomic family Ceratophyridae. Oh my! Uh, which is the common horn frogs. There's one genus in that family, Ceratophrys, which is also known as the Pac-Man frogs. I know Pac-Man frogs. Yes. Oh, I'm familiar with these. Yes. I've sold them in the past. Yes. So they are uh, somewhat related to those. And you can kind of see it in their build. Now that you say that, yeah. They don't really have the, the horn parts on the top of the head, but they do look otherwise pretty similar. They're very angry looking frog. Yes, the Pac-Man frogs, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) I was so scared of those frogs. Mm. I worked at a pet store that sold Pac-Man frogs, and I was terrified of them. They're they're so mean, too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Because, like you mentioned, they're, like, mostly mouth. It Mm -hmm. it doesn't really leave a lot of room in there for brain. (laughs) So they will just lunge at anything that gets, like, close enough to them. And it was so scary. Yes. (laughs) I hated Um, having to reach in there for them. Yep. Yep. So getting right into effectiveness, and this is our category that describes physical attributes to help it do the things it's trying to do in life. I'm giving this one an 8 out of 10. That's pretty good. It's doing pretty good for itself. Uh, So we mentioned it's big mouth and jaw. And what's interesting about this species is it's even reflected in their tadpole form. Aww. Yeah. What's going on with the tadpoles? So they even in the tadpole form, they have this very large mouth and jaw with the cartilage there and everything. Oh, wow. That is quite silly. Yes. And they need it. I put that in ingenuity. I'll talk about that later. But just know, they do need that jaw. Okay. We'll, we'll tuck that away for later. Now, something the adults are known for is they have teeth. Mm. Yeah. What you'll see often in pictures is the t- these two pointy teeth um, that are on their bottom jaw... They look like front teeth, like a toddler might grow in. Aww. But they're pointy frog teeth. I don't love it. (laughs) On a baby, they're cute. Yes, they're cute on a baby. (laughs) But not this. It's like a reverse vampire fangs. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that caught me off guard about this frog. So, it lives in a place that goes through dry and wet seasons, being close to the equator. Now, during dry months, several months worth of unshed skin creates a barrier that helps retain moisture like around the frog yes so they're like building up skin armor yes sort of a dead skin seal oh dear <laughs> it's a diy like wetsuit yeah but it's the opposite of like what we use a wetsuit for we use it to keep the wet out yeah, keep the wet in they need to keep the wet in i, see. <laughs> I mean i i'm told wetsuits do that too <laughs> <laughs> i guess if you have an accident in one. <laughs> um, and then the first rain comes along and softens that shell okay yeah you <laughs> Uh, they're good at digging. So what what they'll do in these towards the end of these stormy seasons is they'll start to dig themselves into the mud as and then it starts to dry up, right? Oh, a nice little mud bath, yeah. little spa moment. That's mm-hmm. good. Yeah, get all wallowy in there. That's great. <laughs> they lay so many eggs, up to fourteen hundred fertilized eggs in one breeding event. Oof, that's too many, I would say. But uh oh, <laughs> they're tadpoles much like the adults, are carnivorous and cannibalistic. Oh, self-managing sort of. Yeah. That will sort of work itself out. <laughs> A self-solving problem. Yes. <laughs> Survival of the fittest, I suppose. Yeah. So the tadpoles eat each other. 
Oh, it's a little gauntlet. Like, (laughs) whichever one of y'all can eat the most of your siblings. Right. And it is a case of uh, who's the bigger one. (laughs) Interesting. Man, they have to start life immediately. Mm. Like, all right, it's the tournament. It's the finals. (laughs) Born into a gladiator fight. Yeah. Welcome to the planet. Here's your spear. (laughs) (laughs) It's Hunger Games. (laughs) Literal Hunger Games. Enjoy. Have fun. Go kill your siblings. Uh, That wraps up effectiveness, I think. Oh, my. For ingenuity, I'm giving a 6 out of 10. And ingenuity is what we kind of ascribe for intelligence. Behavioral Yes. So I mentioned this life in the watery uh, seasons. And what happens is the, the wet season comes along and creates these temporary pools of water in their habitat. They're inactive in the dry season until this happens. And what's interesting about the tadpoles is they have this big drive to grow as quickly as they can because what they're fighting against is time. Really? Because they need to grow and develop before that water dries up. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Okay, we got to hit fast forward. Come on, guys. (laughs) So many tadpoles of frog species, you can breathe underwater, right? Mm -hmm. But if they lose the water, you know, they're kind of... Yeah, they they basically have to be a aqua- they're like a fish basically yeah. for the first like stage of their life. So it's real important that they develop to that stage where they can then breathe air. Mm. You have to, you have no choice. <laughs> so part of that of course is to develop and grow as quick as you can, so eat eat eat. Mm-hmm. Where that comes in with the cannibalism, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> at the cost of the rest of your clutch, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's the only way the the mother frog could leave nourishment for them. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Can't exactly leave a cheeseburger for them. <laughs> when they are grown up, they are nocturnal sit and wait ambush predators. I know this to be true. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Not of this frog specifically, but it tracks with what I know about their cousins. Yes. So in their active periods during the wet season, they're doing that thing lots of frogs do where they're just hanging out in the water with just their eyes and nostrils peeking up above the surface, waiting for something to come by, and then they'll just gulp it up. They'll basically go for anything that can fit in their mouth. It is like a motion detector. Mm-hmm. They have no thought process behind, oh, should I strike at this? No, it's like, oh, there's something moving. Here I go. <laughs> and this Hope inc- it doesn't kill me. <laughs> yeah. And this includes other frogs, by the way. <laughs> so, Do they eat the other frogs? Oh, yeah. Oh, so right. it's an, it's not one of those the biggest one eats the other one. So <laughs> it's a like nesting doll of frogs. Basically, the Futurama episode. <laughs> they have an interesting defense uh, strategy. I'll call really? it. <laughs> so first, they do a puffing up and standing on their limbs to appear larger. This is very funny. Yes, it is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. So in a in a world where being big matters, this is their first step. Mm-hmm. Try to make themselves appear as big as they can. The next thing they resort to is a piercing scream <laughs> paired with biting and lunging. It would work on me. <laughs> that would work on me. Now, the Guarani name for this frog, which is an indigenous language to mm-hmm. this part of South America, is the Cucuruchini or the toad that shrieks. Uh, apt. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Guarani, by the way, is uh, one of the national languages of Paraguay. Oh, okay. And that scream is described as a scream like a cat in pain. Oh. Yeah. To me, it sounds like a defective rubber chicken. (laughs) (laughs) And what does that sound like? I don't got it. Especially not right now. Oh, you never do. 
But to me, it sounds like a, a weird uh, rubber chicken that was maybe pitched up an octave or two too high. And it only makes sounds like when it's sucking air back in. <laughs> and there's plenty of YouTube videos and things out there of them screaming. It's just kind of their thing, I guess. Which wraps up ingenuity. Moving on to our final category of aesthetics, um, which describes how cute or maybe how cool they are. I'm giving a six really? out of ten. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> In the inflated form? Yeah. Aw. They got goofy going on for them. That's true. <laughs> it's the eyes and the overall profile, I think. How The way that you always rate these bizarre looking animals so high doesn't make me feel great about the fact that you're married to me. What? <laughs> <laughs> and you think all these weird, gross animals are so cute. <laughs> I assure you, you're tens across the board. Oh, thank you. <laughs> well saved. <laughs> Critical success. <laughs> but this, however, is not. I don't remember if you mentioned, why are they called the Freddy Krueger frog? There's nothing about it specific to Freddy Krueger itself. It's just, it gives, I guess, a creepy vibe. What? And that's then, all? That's it. We can do better than that, right? I, I tried hard to find something. That's, I mean, like, we can give it a better name than I mean, Freddy Krueger. That's so dated, you, you, you know? Could, like, you could have picked anything. like. <laughs> but the other name for it, Budget's Frog, is the name of the person that I think identified it. That's also boring. Yeah. So Babadook Frog. There you go. <laughs> they got kind of the wide mouth. and. Let's Yeah, let science know. Yeah. Dear science, it's Babadook Frog now. 2024. Uh, Its conservation status is of least concern as of 2020, but its main threats are loss of habitat to agriculture and animal ranching. Definitely a thing we see a lot with frogs in South America. Yes, yes. I'm glad pollution wasn't higher up on that. Yeah. Because that's another thing for amphibians pretty Oh, often. right. Yes. Yeah, they can be really, really sensitive to, like, pollutants in the water and mm-hmm. the soil. Unless you're a Sicilian, I guess. You just don't <laughs> care. Love that dirt. <laughs> uh, so, finally, the Wednesday frog meme. I would like to speak about this. Yes. So, the origin. The image came first. Really? Yes. Okay. So, the image likely originated from Tumblr circa 2014. Okay. And then it gained additional traction in 2015. Oh, wait. We have to describe what the image is. Yes, yes. It is this frog from, I would say, a higher angle with its its mouth is open, right? Yeah. Yes. It's on a white background. Yeah. And then just in black. It's It can't be handwritten, but it looks kind of like... Like using a mouse in Microsoft Paint. Yeah. <laughs> in something akin to handwriting. Sure. In plain black letters. It says, it is Wednesday, my dudes. Yes. Um, I did not become aware of it until very recently, maybe the past two or so years, in the uh, green memes. Yes. Green fiend memes. It's big over there. It has many spinoff memes. (laughs) I'm fumbling with the name, but we actually spoke with them at one point. We did. Yeah, the wild green memes. For For ecological fiends. Yeah, there you go. You got it. It's a long name. I don't blame you for it. Getting some of those words. The meme group. Yeah, the meme group. I know what you mean when you say that, but there's yes. people listening that might not immediately know what you're talking about. Yes. Uh, so that's where I know it from. So the picture came first, and then it gained additional traction via a 2015 Vine, where a guy says, <laughs> "Where a guy says that quote, then mimics the frog scream." Oh, so that came first, and then. The guy saying, it is Wednesday, my dude. Yes. Huh. I would have thought that would have been first. Yeah. 
Interesting. Well, it makes sense now when you know that he was mimicking the frog. Yes, that does make, because that sound that he makes, yes. which I will have to drop in a sound clip of. <laughs> it is Wednesday, my dudes. <laughs> is now like you hear that sound all the time. Like yes. it's all it's on TikTok, it's on like <laughs> you know, soundboards everywhere. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That is an iconic, like classic internet sound at this point. Yeah. And it's based on this frog. It is. How delightful. <laughs> <laughs> and when this episode is going up, it is in fact Wednesday, my dudes. So now you're locked into it. I hope it works out. <laughs> <laughs> I know I'm putting myself on a timer now. <laughs> I gotta get this episode up on time this week. <laughs> it is Wednesday, my dudes. It is. Thank you, Christian. Thanks. I love this frog. Let's take a quick break to hear from our friends on the Maximum Fun Network, and then we'll get to my animal. The Eurovision Song Contest. Hundreds of millions of people watch it every year. It played a part in a democratic revolution in Portugal. It introduced the world to Riverdance, and it launched Celine Dion's career. But you might have never watched it. It's got so much history and so many storylines that it can feel overwhelming to get into. Mm-hmm. It's like a real housewife season, but everyone's a better singer. Well, sometimes. But that's where we come in. I'm Dimitri Pompey. I'm Oscar Montoya. And I'm Jeremy Bent, and we're the hosts of Eurovangelists. If you're new to Eurovision, we'll tell you everything you need to know to start enjoying the world's most important important song competition. And if you're already a fan, we'll dive deep on its wildest moments, like when Ireland sent a turkey puppet to sing for them. You're Evangelist. New episodes every Thursday. On MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jordan Cruciola, host of Feeling Seen, where we start by asking our guests just one question. What movie character made you feel seen? I knew exactly what it was. Clementine. From Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Joy Wang slash Jobu Tupaki. That one question launches amazing conversations about their lives, the movies they love, and about the past, present, and future of entertainment. Roy in uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I worry about what this might say about me, but I've brought Tracy Flick in the film Election. So if you like movies, diverse perspectives, and great conversations, check us out. Oof, this is real. New episodes of Feeling Seen drop every week on MaximumFun.org. So, Ellen, what animal do you bring this week? So usually we discuss ahead of time what our animals are going to be for the episode. So you mm-hmm. usually know what I'm about to say. Well, well you usually forget what I tell you. Because <laughs> I get so engrossed in my own research. Yeah, that's what it is. That I will forget. Yeah, absolutely. So, <laughs> But you usually at least have a little bit of a heads up. But I made a point not to tell you this yes. week what my animal was going to be. Because I wanted this to be like on recording right now to be the first time in your life you've ever heard this series of words. Okay. This is the bone-eating snot flower. Oh. Wait, <laughs> but we do animals. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a couple of uh, a couple of other things they're known as. Okay, zombie worms. Oh, also known as which I will probably be referring to them for brevity as bone worms. Oh, are these the aquatic, the marine, yes. the marine worms that eat yes. bones? Okay, marine bone worms. This was something similar was featured in Dave the Diver. Nice. Yes. Interesting. So you may have some context for this. A little bit. Now, bone-eating snot flower is a literal translation of their scientific name, Osidax mucofloris. Oh. So don't worry. 
I'll be explaining why, why they're called all of those things. <laughs> but I'll probably just say boneworms for short. Okay. This species was submitted by Roan Rose. Thank you, Roan. I'm getting my information from the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute and Smithsonian Ocean, specifically an article that I just had to give a shout out to because the title of the article is Zombie Worms Crave Bone (laughs) by Hannah Waters. So thanks for giving us that. Thanks for putting that in my uh, Google Chrome tab heading. It says zombie worms crave bone right at the top of my Google Chrome tab. Fighting for my life over here. I know. (laughs) Oh, it's going to get worse. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a little worm. Even the largest bone worms only grow up to about three inches long. So they're not very big. Okay. They can be found at the bottom of the world's oceans, but in a very very specific circumstance, type of habitat that I'll explain in just a moment. Boneworms were only discovered in 2002. Wow. Had no clue they existed until then when the Monterey Bay Aquarium Research Institute found them with an ROV. Okay. Yeah. Was like, hey, there's all these little worms down here. Mm-hmm. So the, the whole entire group of worms, the first one was discovered in 2002. They are in the same family of worms as giant tube worms, which people may be aware of. Those are the really cool ones that live around like hydrothermal vents. They're the ones that are like white with like a red part at the tip. If you've ever seen video of like around a hydrothermal vent, you've probably seen giant tube worms Mm. down there, which hydrothermal vents are like underwater volcanoes. Right. They're these guys. For effectiveness, I'm giving bone eating snot flowers a nine out of 10. And to kind of explain this, I'm going to take you through every single part of that name. I'm going to start with bone eating. Okay. So these worms, they start life off as these microscopic little larvae, just part of the plankton floating around in the Mm -hmm. abyss. And then eventually something hits the bottom of the ocean, something big and dead. We're talking about whale falls again. Very good. It's whale falls again, baby. <laughs> It'd been too long. Right off the heels of well, last week's episode, I had an honorable mention of whale falls. Didn't factor hugely into the episode, but we did talk about them just a little bit with Dr. Tom Lindley, who did deep sea research. Didn't really get super into whale falls on that episode, but in the past, we did get really into whale falls on our giant isopod episode. Yes. But I will be talking about them today because that was a long time ago. So a whale fall is what happens when a whale dies and their body sinks to the bottom of the ocean. The chemicals given off by the dead body as it's sort of like dissolving into the water around it act like a dinner bell for like all of the deep sea freaks. Right. So all the weird guys crawl out of the woodwork and converge around this dead whale body. So scavengers come around to pick at the body and then predators come around to Mm -hmm. eat the scavengers. So you get kind of like the entire ecosystem converging in this one really small place. You get this battle royale basically where like (laughs) it's a free for all. Everyone's having a great time. And it's worth noting that, you know, the whale doesn't just die and sink, right? By this point, it had already been probably bloated and floating at the surface for a while. And also picked off by, like, sharks yes. and things higher up in the water column. Yes. So it had probably it had already undergone some damage. Mm-hmm. But so it's a madhouse down there. It's Black Friday, like, yeah. at the bottom of the ocean. Everyone's going nuts. So after the scavengers have picked the carcass clean and left behind only the bones, it's time for 
the worm era. Mm-hmm. It's real worm hours. The bone worm larvae follow the sort of chemical scent of the whale carcass, and they settle on the skeleton. So once they're there, they burrow into the bone by growing these root structures and the root structures secrete an acid that Mm. actually dissolves away the hard mineralized it's called the bone matrix Mm. it's basically like the hard part of the bone that's like turned into inorganic like minerals it's it's rock essentially sure so they dissolve it away by secreting acid from their roots now the worm can't actually digest the bone itself it has a symbiotic relationship with bacteria that it hosts inside of its body. And the bacteria breaks down things like fat and protein and tissues and lipids and stuff like that inside that are like locked inside of the bone. And the bacteria turns it into nutrients that the worm can digest. So the worm hosts the bacteria. The bacteria kind of turns the bone into something digestible for the worm. They ate the bones. Excellent. Yes, very good. The return. Yeah, return (laughs) of the king for sure. Now, this is a resource that is very difficult to come by. Uh, We kind of mentioned this in last week's conversation. The the guest in last week's episode was a deep sea marine biologist. I asked him if they came across any whale falls. He mentioned that whale falls are actually like not super common like it's they they don't happen that often Mm. because they require sort of a specific set of circumstances uh so whale falls are actually not very common and it's not very often that vertebrate bones make it to the bottom of the ocean so bone worms end up with not that many opportunities to colonize but the good thing about that is that when a resource is really difficult to access that also means probably not very many other organisms are going to bother they're trying mm-hmm. so there's not a lot of competition right if you're the only one that can eat bones who's arguing with you right like <laughs> it's all yours it's free real estate like you're good but it's interesting because they also um, depend on the higher order animals to first reveal the bones right yeah they kind of like let everybody else do their thing and then they're like all right it's my time to shine mm. everyone back off this is my trash yes cleanup crew yeah and and it's good that you say that because, you know, they're a really important part of the decomposition process because mm. what they're basically doing is unlocking nutrients that would have otherwise stayed just locked away forever in this mineralized bone. Mm-hmm. So they're taking nutrients that are right there and recycling them and bringing them back into the ecosystem in a really interesting way that you don't otherwise see. Uh, which is really, really cool. It also used to be thought that bone worms only ate whale bones, but then research from 2013 revealed that they're not really so picky. They will happily eat the bones of other things like fish, cow, turtles, whatever they can get their little roots into. Oh, okay. I was thinking, like, what would have bones there if not whales but then i forgot about turtles <laughs> yeah turtles yeah turtle bones may drop to the bottom fish also sometimes scientists will do this thing where when they want to study the bottom of the ocean they'll drop stuff down there yes like so they might drop like cow bones or a cow carcass or something we talked about this once we did there was a, a study where someone dropped a crocodile corpse down oh, there. yeah what was that was it a shark i can't remember i think it was it was interesting because the first one they dropped went missing <laughs> <laughs> Raises more questions than it answers. <laughs> I love science. 
Oh, I did also want to mention that there is a really beautiful paper craft video that was made by Sweet Fern Productions for an episode of Radio Lab titled Loops, uh, and it gives a really beautiful depiction of a whale fall. So mm-hmm. um, it's really, really pretty. I recommend anyone look it up. So that's the bone eating part of yes. the name. They ate the bones. They used these roots in their body to burrow into bones uh, and digest the nutrients stored inside. The next part is snot. The roots are coated with mucus. It's got like a mucus sheath almost around it. Mm. Very snotty, very slimy. Uh, This is probably to protect them from damage, either from the bone around them or from the acid, right? They're excreting all this acid to chew away at the bone. And the mucus may help protect them from that. Oh, it's almost like a stomach turned inside out. Yeah. (laughs) So weird. And the last part is flour. The part of the worm that sticks out of the bone, Mm -hmm. so the part that's the other end, basically, the end that's not burrowing into the bone, ends in these really long tendrils with these sort of feathery-looking appendages. Uh, They're called palps. And they look really frilly and like a fringe. They look almost like a peacock feather, sort Mm. of. Or an ostrich feather, I think, is a better description of what they look like. These palps actually act as external gills. Yeah, they're absorbing oxygen from the water around them, kind of like the feathery external gills of a juvenile salamander, like an axolotl. Hmm. Yeah, so if you look at the little feathery frills on the side of a of an axolotl or any other sort of juvenile salamander. It's the same sort of structure. This is reminding me of another marine worm. I think you talked about. Christmas tree worms. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting, not closely related, Uh but similar like burrowing into a hard substance and having like feathery appendages sticking out. Right. Similar body plan, but very, very very different. Huh. Yeah. I had the same thought though. Mm. (laughs) That is the... Bone-eating snot flower. That's what they are. I feel like there was creative license on the snot part. I mean, (laughs) yeah. I'm not the only one that calls them that, okay? Like, it's, like, out there. I figured. (laughs) If you look up bone-eating... There's a lot of mucus out there, (laughs) y'all. It's not all snot. But it kind of is in it, though. So everything that I just described to you only applies to the female bone worms. Oh. The male bone worms are less than a millimeter long. Oh. They lack any feeding structures. No feeding mechanism whatsoever. They cannot eat. They cannot survive outside of the body of a female. So they actually like live inside of like the tube part of her body. Huh. And they exist purely to fertilize eggs. Oh, like and the anglerfish. Yeah, like the anglerfish, but like even more extreme than that because they can't even consume. Mm. They can't eat. Like they hatch, having already consumed all of the nutrients they will ever consume for their entire life. They have no method of bringing in nutrients. That's it. They can just hatch, fertilize eggs, die. Like that's their life. Well, (laughs) it's a living. So, you know, this is all a kind of like extreme mode of life, but like I mentioned, like adapting to exploit this extremely inaccessible resource is a really cool way of avoiding competition with other life forms, right? Even your own self. <laughs> well, like who who are you fighting with? Nobody. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look at all these bones. <laughs> Is there enough for me? No. No, sorry. No, sorry. no. So this brings me to ingenuity for the bone-eating snot flower. I am giving them a two out of ten. It's a worm. Yeah. <laughs> I w- the only thing I could really find that's like a behavior that they do is that the palps can retract into the tube to hide from predators. So if something is like swimming nearby, they at least have some mode of sensing that. This Mm -hmm. is going to be in a really dark environment. So they might be either sensing chemicals or they might be feeling like water current moving around them. They can tell that something is nearby and they can actually retract into their tube to hide. And what's helpful is that the deeper they bore into the bone, the more space they give themselves for retracting right so you know if they can stay in one spot and like dig really deep into the bone then they can like zoop all the way back into there and Mm -hmm. and stay well hidden if something's going by i did also maybe give them a little credit for the fact that it has to take some degree of ingenuity to find vertebrate bones in the vast abyss of the ocean you know i I will say i was surprised to hear that they do that i I was assuming this was going to be like a just a broadcast like spray and pray that you land on some bones. <laughs> I mean, that's more or less what it is, but they can sort of like aim themselves. It seems like yeah. they, they can at least get to the bones that they need to get to from their larval stage when right. they're like floating around in the ocean. So I will give them some credit for that. You know, they, that they probably have to drift like hundreds of miles before coming across any sort of vertebrate bones. So mm. I do have to give them props for that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Considering it's probably going to be like <laughs> months before you come across sure. vertebrate bones at the bottom of the ocean, and I'm sure the majority of them never do. So that's yeah, most of them are. It's not happening. I'm sorry. <laughs> now for aesthetics, I am giving the bone-eating snot flower a one out of ten. Really? Unfortunately, they do look like something out of Rick and Morty. Like, it's giving Plumbus a little oh, bit. Okay. Like, it's <laughs> it's not good. It's it, A lot of it is because they are, like, a whitish pink color. Yeah. Akin to very, very pale human skin. Okay. And have what I will describe as a suggestive shape. Okay. I understand. It's not good. And then, like, the root end is a mess. It's a disaster. It's just, like, gnarly looking. It's not good. You should look one up. It sucks. The only redeeming quality is that the feathery gill structures at the end are, like, kind of pretty in the right photos. Hmm. And I haven't seen, you know, most of the pictures that I came across are of specimens that have been like brought up or something. So that's not their element, right? I'm sure if I saw them actually like in the whalebone, maybe that would be a little different. Mm-hmm. But I can't give them that much for it. Yeah, I'm looking at it now. You see where I'm going with the one. <laughs> My imagination was a little bit more uh, <laughs> kind, I suppose. This is perhaps the lowest aesthetic score I've ever given. And I think it's deserved. For now. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see if something can get that coveted zero. <laughs> it's just invisible. Uh, and the last kind of thing I wanted to say to wrap up for boneworms is that boneworms are on display at the Monterey Bay Aquarium as part of their Into the Deep exhibit. So we saw boneworms. We did? Yeah. 
Huh. It wasn't this exact species, probably. I don't think I couldn't really narrow it down. Like I tried looking on their website to see what they what species they had, and mm-hmm. I couldn't figure it out. Because remember, this is um, a genus called Osidax, which is like the bone eating worm gene. That's what Osidax means is like bone eating. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole genus of worms that eat whale bones, and I couldn't figure out which ones they have at the aquarium, but they have some of them. So did they bring up bone to put in that exhibit? They must, like, give them bones to eat. So Something. Yeah. But I guess we we shared space with bone worms, which I think is really cool. Nice. Yeah. I don't, like, specifically remember seeing them. Yeah. Sounds right, though. You were probably too distracted by the giant isopod. I was I was on a mission. <laughs> <laughs> I was there for run, for one reason. <laughs> but uh, you know, if you thought this kind of stuff was interesting, then you should go back to our giant isopod episode because covered a lot of the same territory. Very true. There, and also last week's episode on the ethereal snailfish, a lot of deep sea stuff that we talked about in last week's episode. So that is the bone eating snot flower. Well, thanks. Are you sure? Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I've been in a real deep sea era. I'm doing a lot. We're doing a lot of sea stuff. That's true because we did Siphonophore two weeks back, right? That was two weeks yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah. We're in the we're in our deep sea era, and that's all for us this week. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. I had a lot of fun, and I hope you did too. Mm-hmm. If you liked what you heard, I would really love it if you left behind a, a couple nice words for us on your podcast app of choice, like listener on apple podcasts new with many n's many h's and many u's Mm -hmm. who left five stars and said why are there only five stars you guys are amazing i don't know why there are only five stars on this app (laughs) me and my brothers listen to you every single night at school i love info dumping on fellow students i recently had a philosophical debate about the giant siphonophore we asked what really is life and how many chickens a giant siphonophore may be. <laughs> Not many mass-wise. <laughs> <laughs> like length, quite a few. Sure. But pound for pound, like 0.01 one, chicken. One nugget. <laughs> <laughs> and a really watery nugget, too. Yeah. It really uh, stretched it. <laughs> so thank you i really appreciate that we it really makes us happy to see uh kind words from people who enjoy yeah, the show love sparking conversation and that is one of them <laughs> to have. we would like to thank maximum fun for having us on their network alongside their other amazing shows like the ones that you heard promos for here earlier if you want to learn more about the network and the other shows and how you can be a part of supporting our show head over to maximumfun.org And finally, we would like to thank Louis Zong for our theme music, which I gotta say, Budget's Frog would slot into nicely. It would not. (laughs) (laughs) From a musical standpoint, I don't think so. What key do you think that is? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just like a bunch of A's. (laughs) I would love to see in notation. (laughs) (laughs) Puff up and scream. Yeah, it, it, the little, yeah, in the little, what do you call it? The dynamic markings mm-hmm. up on the top. That's like atonally <laughs> 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 <totally> shrieking. <laughs> well, that's all for us today. Thank you. Thanks, y'all. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. Bye.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.